Notice to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew, actually chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to pick up together in verse 17 in just a moment. How many of you on Tuesday breathed a small sigh of relief because you do not have to get ready for Christmas for another 364 days. Christmas is a major event. It's a big part of of our faith and it is incredibly important to what it means to be someone who follows Jesus. There is also the other side of it which includes decoration and my children still pressuring me to get on the top of my house like I'm one of the Griswolds. There's a lot that is involved with Christmas that is event. And that's not in and of itself terrible. It just is what it is. So, for me, the event of Christmas includes numerous things. One of those is that I will eventually drink eggnog. And just to let you know, there are two views of eggnog. There are those of us who believe that it is a delicious treat given to us by the Sovereign Lord for our joy during the holiday season. There are the rest of you who are wrong. And... After you drink your eggnog, you digest things that are covered in peppermint that peppermint was never intended to be attached to. I mean, peppermint pork butt, that's a weird thing. Let's not do that. But we peppermint things at Christmas. So we have all of these events that come, and then on the backside of Christmas Day, the top of the next morning, all that has been built up to, it is gone. All the things that you have worked to make happen, as meaningful as they were, as helpful as they were, they are gone. The cookies are gone. The gathering of the family seems to be gone. It's an event. I've been in churches a a large portion of my life. And I've seen us treat much of the church as if it is an event. We build our schedules and our calendars around events. We make sure that we have a festival in the fall because that's when you have festivals because it's alliterated. And we make sure that we have other things that take place throughout the year. Let's make sure that we have this and this and this. And when you get to the back side of that event, it's gone. When we read through the scriptures, it doesn't seem that that's the way that Jesus has designed for the church to function. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. I love fall festivals. Uh, So much so that I encouraged our body of believers to have a fall festival throughout the entire city of Lake Jackson this year. I don't think that there is anything necessarily wrong with events, but if we are not careful... And we begin to design our calendar and our schedule around events. What we do is we miss what seems to be the central message of Jesus. That we would be people who, as believers, 
make disciples that we would see that there's this lifelong calling that God has given to every one of us. And yes, we may leverage those events, but we leverage those events for the sake of making disciples. Disciple making seems to be a very serious issue when we read the words of Jesus. How much time do we think that Jesus spent making disciples with his disciples, investing in disciples, listening to disciples, teaching his disciples, finding opportunities to disciple? Some argue that Jesus spent 65 to 70% of his time doing so. Others argue that it was more. I'm not sure what the answer is, but if the overarching emphasis of the life of Jesus, the reason that we call ourselves Christians, is to be a disciple maker. Why would we invest our energy and effort? In a different way. Jesus calls the disciples. Pick up with me in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. Saying, repent... For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just a little backdrop as to what's happened in Matthew. We have the, the Bible Christmas tree. The story of Jesus and his, his heritage in Matthew chapter 1. We get to chapter 2 of Matthew. We see a, a little bit more as to his childhood. And then we jump full, full ship into chapter 3. Where you begin to see John the Baptist speaking and preaching about Jesus. And when he would preach and teach about Jesus, he would say this, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he would say, but that's not me, it's about someone else. So, so then you get to chapter 4, and Jesus has a duel with the devil, literally. And after that, Jesus begins to talk to those of us, who, who or to those who are hearing him, and the overarching message of Jesus is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the way that that message will be conveyed is through people he calls to himself. Look with me. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them and immediately they left the boat and they and their father and they followed Jesus. Not the kindest thing for James and John to do or, or for, for these sons of thunder to do. Hey dad we know that the net still has holes in it but we're out. That's what happens there. They begin to follow after Jesus. Why? Because what they had been doing had definition and it had reason and it had purpose. But Jesus had called them to something greater. In 1983, a man by the name of Steve Jobs. Let me explain to you who Steve Jobs is because I know I've got Andrew Joy people in the room. 
Steve Jobs was the founder of this small upstart company called Apple. You may have heard of it. Apple, at this point in history, 2017, is worth over $800 billion. For perspective, because we don't operate in numbers like that, they could buy Disney multiple times. That mouse could have an, a bite taken out of it if they wanted him to. But in 1983, Jobs was trying to get Apple moving in a certain direction. And he found a man that he wanted to hire. A man by the name of John Scully. John Scully was not in a tech business at the time. John Scully worked for a company called Pepsi. Texans. Pepsi, they are the people who bottle Dr. Pepper. And over and over, Jobs tried to hire John Scully. And over and over, Scully said no. Why? You say no because this guy in 1983, as smart as he is, has no strategy for this business. And in his last ditch attempt, Jobs comes to Scully and asked him this question. Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and check? The disciples, when we look at their lives when they were fishermen... They weren't poor. They chose poverty when they followed Jesus. So much, here's what we would find about the life of a fisherman. It was dangerous at times. It was really hard work. But you could provide for your, for your family because in the city there were always people who wanted fish. There were always people who were there to buy what you were selling. So the lives of the disciples before Jesus were modestly secure. They had enough to provide for their children and enough to, and a little left over. Everything was okay. But Jesus intervenes. And when Jesus intervenes, he calls them to leave that and follow him. So we begin to talk about what it means to be a disciple because that's the word that we now attach to these men. That's the word the Bible attaches to these men. They are the disciples of Jesus. Now, do me a favor. If you have something that you're writing on, I want you to write down your definition of disciple. Now, if you do not have anything to write on, I want you to take the phone and close the Facebook app you've been looking at. And I want you to open a little place in your phone for notes. And I want you to type out what you would consider to be a definition of a disciple of Jesus. Because, I mean, let's be real. If you're here on New Year's Eve, you got church background. You should be able to work something pretty good out of this. And if you don't have an answer, that's cool. Ask the person next to you because there's no way the person next to you doesn't have an answer. Define disciple of Jesus.
How would you define disciple? So we're all in the same boat. See what I did there? If your disciple definition has the word commitment in it somewhere, could you raise your hand? Awesome. If your definition of discipleship has the word follow in it somewhere, could you raise your hand? Give me some of the... This is what makes introverts afraid. I need you to talk to me for a moment. This is the interactive part of our program. Give me some of the words that you use in regards to defining disciple. Anybody? Wes, loud. Studies thorough. Okay, I like that. Come on. Someone else? What's that? Called by the Spirit. Okay, from the dark section of our room, Miss Helen speaks out. More lights there. We're working on that. We got an Eagle Scout working on it, I think. Uh, any, anyone else? Other questions? Any other comments? What is a disciple? What are words that you would use to define disciple? Committed. Committed. I love that. That's good. Committed. Someone else? Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Okay, great. Teacher, okay, yes, that's definitely attached to teacher. It's other words. Reflects Jesus. I, I like that, like, yes. Learner. Learner. Passion. Passion. Compassion. Both. Sign me up. None of these are bad. They're all really good, and I think they're all exercise with discipleship. But here's what I want us to think through moving forward based upon what this passage teaches us. Uh, For the sake of simplicity, for us as a body of believers, my, my 1231 crowd, as a church that I pray that we will be serious about making disciples, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, because that seems to be what Jesus keeps telling us to do. All of those words that we've used are true. But so that we can be clear. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus. Because they are changed by Jesus. And is committed therefore to the mission of Jesus. One more time. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus because they are changed by Jesus and is therefore committed to the mission of Jesus. Now all the words that you've said are good. They all fit into that. But so that we're communicating the same thing among our people, what if we can hang that This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. 
the, the word follow is used three times in these five verses alone. And when we see that these disciples follow, the first thing we see is follow Jesus. If you're a note taker, that's a great thing to write down. And we see that in verse 18 when Jesus says to the disciples in verse 19, follow me. Follow me. The word follow used five times. It's interesting when you really look at these, these brothers, because Jesus called two pairs of brothers, James and John, they've been dabbling with Jesus for about a year. When you look at the Gospel of John, they've been kind of going and seeing what Jesus does, and then they'll leave. Going and seeing what Jesus does, and then going back to their work. They have been investigating Jesus, evaluating Jesus, thinking about Jesus, but they keep going back to who they were. And here Jesus asked them to leave this ordinary, modestly secure life for the sake of coming after him. Follow me and this transition will happen. I will make you fishers of men. And we see how much their lives are wrapped up in being a fisherman because what happens in the Gospels when Jesus has died and they think, oh, that's over. Well, they go back to being fishermen. That's where they go. That's what they do. That's where they trend. But Jesus says, follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. A couple of things happen. We also see this. That they left their boats. Well, to leave that boat is to leave your family. So what you're telling me, if I'm reading this passage correctly, Matthew is that if I'm going to follow after Jesus, I have to leave who I was and what my family happened to be to come after this man. I have to choose him above those things. But my my family follows Jesus. Here's what I've noticed over and over. If we follow Jesus because that's what our family does, we're not going to follow him for long. If we're making a Jesus decision simply because that's all that we've ever seen and this never becomes personal and begins to wreck us internally, then we don't follow Jesus. We followed our family. They left their boats. They left their dad sitting there. Why did you follow Jesus? Why did you make the decision to leave whatever you left for the sake of Jesus? Tell the person next to you why you follow Jesus. Let's hear a little bit of a murmur in the room. That'll help. Why did you choose to follow Jesus? What came after you where you said, I've got to do this? I follow Jesus because I love him. So, so if you're unfamiliar with us, I've got four kids at my house. My, my youngest is, is a two and a half year old tornado. 
But he's super sweet. He'll also say crazy things sometimes. But he's super sweet for the most part. And he will regularly tell you that he loves you. I love you, Daddy. He actually says, I wub. Like he's a massage therapist. And I love you, Daddy. I love you too. But there are times when I need him to come do something. And he'll just tell me no. Mm -mm, I'm out. Come on, Alder. Let's get you ready. No. But he loves me. He willy willy loves me. I think that's where lots of us are if we're not careful with following Jesus. I think we would say that we are that we love him because he first loved us and we But what about when he asks us to walk on in dangerous places and do difficult things and say things that may even be harder and live in a way that may even be more overwhelming? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Why? Because they've been changed by Jesus. Jesus has done a work in us to make us a unique people. Now, we wrestle with what we mean when we say change. My, my friends at Real Life Discipleship who helped me with this, my, our elders, we talk about the idea of being changed by Jesus. Well, what happens among, in someone when they are changed by Jesus? Well, there's two, it's a twofold change. One is that when you are place your faith in Jesus, you are immediately changed. You have been what Scripture calls justified, made like Jesus. You're, you have trusted that your sins have died with Jesus and that you have life free from them because of his resurrection. That's what it means to be changed by Jesus. And that happens for those who follow him immediately. For those who trust him, Jesus, I need you to save me, a sinner. But there's also this continual change that's taking place. Where Jesus is making you more like him. One of the hardest questions that I wrestle with is, how am I more like Jesus today than I was five years ago? One of the biggest struggles to think through is... is the trajectory of my life one where I look forward than I did when I started following him? You're being changed. You're being made more like him. I was 30 when Hope and I got married. And a lot of my friends had already entered into the phase of life where they were parents. And I may have even shared this with a couple of you. One of my friends had this cute little kid. like, And I remember thinking, yeah, that's a cute kid. I don't want anything to do with them, but that kid's cute. Don't ask me to watch them. They're cute, though. I'm fine with your cute doll. The problem was, this kid was kind of a bobblehead doll. Just a big-headed child, like baboosh. And... And the mom took the little girl to the doctor, not because she had a big head, but because that's what insurance companies want you to do, take your kid to the doctor over and over. And the doctor looked at the baby and she said, that kid's got a big head, which is very comforting if you're a mom or a dad. Then he said, let me get another opinion. So he goes and gets his nurse. His nurse comes in and she said, oh yeah, that kid's got a big head. 
She said, let me measure the child's head. So she pulled out a yardstick or whatever you measure a big-headed kid with. And she measured the baby's head. And it, come to find out, this baby was in the top 10 percentile of big-headed babies globally. And the mom was concerned about this ginormous head on her child. And the nurse begins to console her. And she consoles her by looking at this woman and saying this. No, 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 honey. It's okay. You've got a big head too. (laughs) Now what she was attempting to say. She's yours. And she'll become more like you and she'll grow into this noggin. She will be more like you. So when we talk about the continual change that takes place, for those of us who follow Jesus, what's happening is this. We, as people who have given our lives to Jesus because he has taken hold of them, our lives will become more like him. So just for the sake of sheer honesty, if you cannot see that your life is any more like Jesus today than when you claim to have met him, you may not have really met him. Chad, are you trying to scare people? Well, maybe if that's what you need. To think through realities. Are we more like Jesus today than we were yesterday? be changed by Jesus. It says, well, where do we see that he's going to change us? He says he's going to make us fishers of men. Well, that seems to be a drastically different occupation than the one that he laid out initially. They had initially. Because they were on a dangerous boat and now Jesus is saying, the fish get to talk back. And they're going to disagree. And they're not always going to hear you. And they're going to be fickle. And sometimes you're going to ask them to do things that they don't want to do. Fish don't get to say those things. But it does seem very evident in this passage... That if you are seriously going to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, who has been changed by Jesus, that change will include heavily an investment in the lives of other people. Because we may have a personal faith. You don't have a private one. And if your faith is completely closed off from anyone being able to say to you, that's a bad idea, that, that's a, you need to think through that, then you're doing faith wrong. Because we're called to be in this together. The whole picture that the gospel church shows us is that these people live among one another for the sake of one another. Pushing one another towards brotherly affection. Exhorting one another. Encouraging one another. Building one another up. Making sure you correct one another. That's over and over in Scripture. And if it's not over and over in us, then we have a sanctification hurdle. To be more like Jesus means that we see that we are in life together. I would say we do life, but that's a really dumb phrase. 
So what happens with the disciples? Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. What? They walked away from everything because they heard him. And going on from there, it says this about these other brothers. That when he spoke to them when they were in the fishing boat with their dad... He didn't even have to speak. They just saw him walk by. They said, we're out. And they followed him. They were committed to this mission. So Jesus wants us to make disciples. Well, where does he tell us that? Well, he starts slow with these guys because they weren't the brightest apples on the tree if we're just being honest. But they're following him for this harsh call. They said, repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. And evidently he's the king. And they begin to chase him. He takes them and they begin to see healing and amazing things. And they make some really bad decisions in the midst of that. We, we are familiar with some of those stories. There's one passage where these same sons of thunder, they ask Jesus if they can call him fire from heaven on somebody. And he says, No. No, they're not against me. But, but you get to chapter 28. After the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And the thing that he says to them is not, Hey, make sure that four times a year your church creates something that's going to call people to it. That's not bad. Jesus doesn't say, make sure your music's really good, though ours is. Make sure your preaching's mediocre, because ours is. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't say, make sure that the microphone works well, or that you've got donut holes, kosher ones. The message of Jesus for the church, that he is literally given his life for. Go make disciples of all nations. He's going to obey everything that I've commanded you. If we are not going to make disciples, leveraging who we are and what we do to that end, realizing that our neighbors and nations matter for the sake of eternity to this loving God, then we have chosen not to be obedient to what Jesus leans in on heavily. Make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. Churches grow not because of good anything. It's because of the people who are part of that church investing in those around them. Are we going to make disciples at grace? One theologian asked this question. What would it take? What could and should the followers of Jesus be doing today? That send people off with the word that something new is happening. 
and that everyone should come quickly to see it. The kingdom of heaven at hand and God's people being serious about those around them being impacted by this Jesus who you claim changed you. Should you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. But in the midst of our gathering, Jesus has spoken to you and he's called you to himself. And that little phrase that I use about Jesus takes our death and gives us life, that, that needs to happen for you. The easiest way for us to guide that is for us to encourage you to think through your relationship with the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm sinful and I need you. So you take my death and, and, and I'll take the life that you offer and I'll follow you. Jesus, I need you. I need to trust you, so I'm going to give you my sin and I'm going to take the life you offer in return. And if that's you and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, but you would like to explore that and to begin that, that's pretty much, it's, it's simple. You have that conversation with the Lord. I don't get to have that for you or guide you. But if that's something that you're, the Lord's stirring in you, that card that we gave you earlier, I would love for you just to say, hey, I want to I talk to someone about a relationship with Jesus. I want to talk to someone about following Jesus. Secondly, uh, for every person in here who's in, who's a member of our church, my prayer for us every day is that we will grasp this idea of, of being invested in one another for the sake of eternity. If you're not in a life group, it's okay that you're not in one today, but we want you to be in one. Because we believe that's the way that we're going to make disciples here at Grace. We believe this matters. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. And as we sing, as we talk, and as we think about what your word says, I pray that we will be serious about following you and seeing that that following means that we choose to make disciples while we're being disciple, we need you and Lord you've chosen to show that you care for us by the people around us so let us steer away from this private faith that doesn't look anything like the, the Bible and lean into you because you love us we ask all this in your name if you need me I'm over here to 